Today's episode of Chunky Glasses, the podcast, is brought to you by the Indivisible Guide, a practical guide for resisting the Trump agenda. It's a team made up of former congressional staffers uh, revealing their best practices for making Congress listen. That sounds like something we're all interested in, right? Right. Uh, you can donate to this group on their page at www.indivisibleguide.com. You can follow them up on Twitter, which is at Indivisible Team. Uh, we follow them. So if you just look at our followers, you can get it like that. They have weekly calls. They have print, put out emails. They they make uh, videos. They, they, they're they keeping you informed so you can, uh, as the kids say, stay woke, and uh, we can maybe get some shit done. So that's Indivisible Guide. Uh, they are awesome. And now let's get on with the show. Here and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Merely a two word review, just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last man. That right there is a lot of the Welcome back to the basement of Telling Music Lovers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glass of the Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, and we are finishing off your week in style here from uh, right down here in the basement in Washington, D.C. Um, it's a real special podcast. I uh, actually just finished editing this one and uh, and realized how much it was it's great when we're doing it, but realized it really was uh, fun and was special. You know, we have shied away from uh, talking to a lot of artists this year. Have been doing a lot of interviews, um, and uh, basically that's because I've just been bummed as fuck. I think all of us have been. If you're here in Washington D.C. and you're not on the other side, uh, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, even if you're out in the country, you know what I'm talking about. I, it's awkward times. It's horrifying times sometimes, but it is uncomfortable times at the very least, and uh, it has affected us. And there's been a lot of people that I have wanted to talk to that I had to cancel because I just could not. Uh, and that's, you know, a couple of reasons, other reasons besides the times in there. But uh, so it was with it was with great uh, relish and zest that I, I, I smiled ear to ear when I, I got an email from our friend Sam McCormley of Fellow Creatures and Ugly Purple Sweater. And he said, hey, uh, you interested in hanging out in the basement and, and talking about music and drinking whiskey with uh, me and Nassim Curry from Kingsley Flood and I said damn I haven't seen you guys in a while yeah yeah let's do this and over the course of a few weeks we tried to figure out what we were going to do we didn't really land on anything until the day of and uh, and sort of what happened is we sat down here and we drank a good bit of uh, whiskey and uh, talked about the music that we love and more specifically the music that uh, really turned us on to music in the first place. Um, maybe it's not an original thought. Maybe it's not an original piece to be putting out there. Uh, but it is honest, and uh, and that's that's kind of that's kind of what we do here. And uh, and if I'm being honest, I really needed this. So thanks to Sam and uh, Nassim. Huge thanks to them. Uh, but that's it. That's our podcast for this week. Uh, you're not going to hear me at the end because this is, fucker is two hours long. 
and uh, it covers everything from 80s music right up into now and and it's uh it's it's great and and if you know these guys uh it's it's double great but even if you don't uh seek them out we'll put links in the show notes uh to sam's band and the seams band but uh yeah i'm glad these guys are my friends and and i'm glad we got to do this and now i'm glad you get to hear this so uh if you are ready and uh maybe you've been feeling the same way and maybe you need a little lift up and uh Let's head on down to the basement and talk to my friend Sam and the scene uh, about music that, that we all uh, just love. Alright, uh, how you guys want to start this? Any theme or just keep drinking? Is there, is there a drinking game theme to this? Oh, um, yeah. It seems like we should we should be able to have a drinking game. I mean, if you don't know the song, you drink. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If you think the song is bad, drink. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, if uh, if we think if the other few people think that you only put the song on your list to make yourself look cool, then you have to drink. I mean, I don't have enough beer in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Just do not. That's a good point. Um, welcome, Sam McCormley. Hi. Of uh, Fellow Creatures, Baby Razor. Yeah. Just hanging out in D.C. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good, man. This is this is your fault. This you, is my fault. This is your fault. You, yeah. You sent us, you know, we... we at the end of these episodes, we say, like, hey, if you just want to talk about shit, like, you'll just talk about shit, and I just randomly got an email from you, like, you want to talk about shit? It's like... Yes, that actually sounds quite enjoyable. <laughs> so now we're here. Uh, we're here with your good friend and my good friend, Nassim Curry of Kingsley Flood. How you doing, sir? Hi. You enjoyed the uh, the walk? I, yeah. All I'm, the way. I'm really, you saw, you saw I'm all the I'm really proud what, of myself. This was not a reenactment of your recent video, was it? No. Yeah, I was not chased by <laughs> Which an assassin. Is great. Thank you. That was, that was great. It, it, was, uh, it had drama, it had tension, and then it had resolution. Right? That's what we were going for. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was no assassin following me. <laughs> Well, was he? Really, I was, was, I was he, equally as sweaty. Though. Was he really an assassin if he didn't finish the job? It's a good point. He was yeah. an ethical assassin. Okay, all right. Morally driven. Uh, we're here tonight to do something uh, a little weird, or maybe not. It's weird. It's like, it's not because this is exactly what we do off mic, honestly, and uh, which is talk about the things that inspire us. Uh, this specific podcast, I started thinking about it today, is going to be. Kind of a ripoff of uh, Bob's book, you know the songs that got you going. Although mm-hmm. I, I think we're not going to be as cool and not have cool answers like that because nobody's that cool, <laughs> uh, as we were talking about right before we turned on the mics. Um, so, so the gist of this is that we're gonna we're gonna spend about an hour here, and uh, an hour what? Maybe two? Um, I don't know, man. What depends on the caps, dude. It was like five minutes tops. Yeah. Oh, five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Sorry. I mean, look, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a bad band. Yeah, Nickelback only has so many hits now. <laughs> Failed delivery. Um, but uh, <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna be talking about this stuff. That the idea is is what really uh, flipped that switch in all our minds on the music. I That's think a good way to put it. Yeah, I I think I think to various points like I do this. I play music all the time, but I I literally sit down and do this. You do fellow creatures. You do all kinds of other stuff, and and 
you do Kingsley Flood, a, a uh, by town thing, and then uh, that goes out and plays shit like Newport. Right. Or you just you were just in Nashville. Yeah, we were just in Nashville. That was cool. Yeah. So we're gonna start with uh, with you here, Mister Sam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is a uh, first memory of music here, and the first thing that you were thinking about? Because I think you wanted to go chronologically. Well, I think the the, the song I picked I picked because it is the first like experience that I had with pop music, like writ large pop, like popular music, yeah, yeah. because. My mom is a classical pianist and like made us take classical music lessons. And that was like my first experience with music. And like, you know, I, I did that. And, but this was the music that was on in the house that felt like more immediate, which is funny because it predates me by quite a bit, but it was like the <laughs> one collection of, of like pop music that we had in the house that we listened to. So the question is, what's the question exactly? Is it name a song that shaped you as a songwriter or just as a, a fan I, I, I of music. I think you just flick the switch, man. Yeah, I mean, for, because, for me, this song because, is like... Because the journey, yeah, the journey from being a songwriter to being, or just being an appreciator of music, it's a long journey. Right. You know, if you if you say, at six, I heard this song, <laughs> and like, then I decided I'm going to write a masterpiece, and right. I did, you're lying. Right. <laughs> but but this song, but this song for me, I mean, in this group in particular, in, like more generally, um, is like like my earliest like notion of what it meant to write songs. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like what, yeah, what, what that was. And, and like the whole, their whole catalog like is in my brain as a reference all the yeah. time. That, yeah. That's what I, I mean. I didn't know Chumbawamba had more than one. <laughs> Chumbawamba is amazing. I, don't get me on a Chumbawamba tangent because they are legit. They're legit. Uh, but I did not put them on my list. Right. What I put on my list was, can I reveal now? Yeah. Reveal. Do we need a, a thing? A drum roll? Do we I, need I can put it in post. Yeah, yeah. Do we want a drum roll or do we want a... Insert uh, post. Oh. <laughs> or a slide whistle. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, keep the customer satisfied by Simon and Garfunkel. Nice. Oh, so cool. Let's take a listen. Cool. Home is where I want to be. Simon Garfunkel's Keep the Customer Satisfied, uh, not entirely unrelated to Eddie Floyd's Knock on Wood, later covered for when I discovered that song, Eric Clapton. What? Yeah. Really? It's, it's on the Crossroads box set, huh. uh, which was is not any of my tracks, mind you, but that, that, was, that Crossroads box set was such a huge part of my musical development. It was just, it's, it's, well, I mean, it's four and a half, five hours of music history from the, uh, white British blues perspective. <laughs> right, right. Like so literally from the sixties, from the start right. to the eighties. I mean, when you have a song on there, that's like, I want to make love to you. I was like, I, all hope of subtlety or you mm-hmm. know, goodness is gone. Right, but it's so funny how how we get to things in different ways. Like I had never even heard the Clapton version. Right, and I only knew Eddie Floyd version. 
Right. Uh, that was just introduced to me by a friend who was like big into blues and, yeah. and Motown and soul and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, um, I have to say, I, I, I am honestly not familiar with that one. With that Simon Garfunkel song. Oh, really? Yeah. All right, wait, so you got to, exp- what, what, give us the story. Uh, again, it was just, we had the box set in so the house. what about and- it? What about it? What about it? Um, it was just It on. tells a story, right? It's mm. a narrative. It's like, it's funny. Um, right. It's the, there's some, there's like a little dramatic irony there, mm-hmm. right? It's this, it's this good for nothing traveling salesman mm-hmm. hawking his wares one step ahead of the law. Um, there's something like, like lighthearted about it, but mm-hmm. also, um, like there's some real emotion there, right? It's like this, I don't know. You, yeah, I'm so tired. Part of the end. I don't, there's just this combination of things that for me, like make a, make a song great. It's like, it's Why? fun. It's sincere. It's also ironic right. at the same time. Right. Um, and then, and then for me, I think like, I really loved like the bass is really interesting. And then the horns are really exciting. And just the, all the pieces. Um, it's a really layered track, even yeah, yeah. though on one yeah. level it's a very simple song. Why, why, why um, that track over like the myriad of other Simon Garfunkel tracks? Yeah, at that I, time. I, the other one that I thought about honestly was Kodachrome, which is a yeah. which is a Paul Simon track. That was another. That, the, for some reason, those two I just remember like, and this is such an antiquated thing, but I remember sitting at the CD player, just like hitting back. Nice, <laughs> hitting back. Hitting yeah, back on cool. it, you know, and um, I don't know. I don't know why that one. I, I think, I mean, I think, you know, it's up-tempo. A lot of Simon and Garfunkel stuff sure. is, like, very contemplative and, like, church-like how, or how something. How old are we talking here? Uh, probably seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, seven or eight-year-old. I mean, you're about to find out in a couple of years. You're about to find out, too, sir. Yeah, I know. But, uh, you know, seven or eight-year-old hears that uh, something like that. It's got a good beat. You can dance to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they aren't worried about the content when they're seven. And then as they get older, they're all of a sudden like, "Whoa, this is yeah. about something." Yeah, cool. yeah. And I think I, I mean, I think I love the harmony. I mean, their harmony, their harmony writing is so good. It's so unexpected and uh, creative. You know, th- they use like the two voices as as like two separate instruments. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, of, of the three tracks that I've picked, the, the, Simon and Garfunkel is the one that I'm like still the most attached to musically. They're still the one who I, mm-hmm. I like appreciate them musically the most. Um, anyway, cool. I'll say I, no, I know I'll one say of the no other more. tracks, and I'm looking at you. I'm like, <laughs> I doubt that. You got a hacky. You got a hacky sack in your hand, sir. <laughs> we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll proceed. We'll proceed. I don't want to give anything away. Uh, Sam, you want to go next? Sure. Okay. Uh, Sam, yours was totally upbeat. I'm going to bring it down a notch. <laughs> this is by uh, an artist that pe- some people have heard of named Bruce Springsteen. Nice. Uh, but this is a deep cut. This song is called Straight Time. And it's from the Ghost of Tom Joad album, which was his, I think, 95? Yeah. Basically the period in his life where he slicked his hair back. And <laughs> and this is, this is the album after Lucky Town and the uh, yeah, other so one that nobody remembers. Um, oh, oh my god. I don't remember it. See? <laughs> Lucky exactly. Town. Human Touch. Human Touch. Human yeah. Touch. You know why nobody remembers that? Because that's a gross fucking title. <laughs> it's called Human <laughs> as Touch. As I hit little girls, your daddy home. It's like, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no, no. Yeah. Don't say that. That song's so good, though. That song is so good. Uh, it's good if you if you give it a country tempo. It's yeah. a great country song. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, so, Straight Time. All I'm right. in college. And this was my first 
the first time a song's words just like floored me. And, you know, they always say like the way you receive, or I don't know, if, whatever, but the way I've always thought about it is the way you receive a song and you're totally moved by a song says a lot more about you than it does the song. So at the time, I'm probably, I'm in college. I'm like in a really nice college yeah. in in Maine. And for some reason, you know, I'm 18 or something and I think like my life is miserable and I have no friends and whatever. And this song just hit me hard because I, I remember thinking that one thing that I was struggling with was just this idea of complacency and not having meaning and you're going to have to find a job and, and have this sort of uh, just no meaning in your life and you're going to have to just like spin your wheels and, and get nothing. Um, and there's one line in the song that's, that says, um, and it's, it's about like a drifter and you'll, you'll hear the lyrics, but it, it has nothing. It's about someone like someone gets out of prison. It's like nothing I can relate to except this one line, which was you get used to anything sooner or later. It just becomes your life. And I remember like being in my, like, you know, rich kid, private, private college right, right. dorm room, like totally resonating with that song. With was that, that was that like an encouraging sentiment or like a really dark sentiment? It's both. It was really dark and someone else said it. And it's just in the same way that some someone out there is speaking your speaking to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and you're just connecting with someone. And yeah. it's the first time really that words had just like penetrated me. Uh that line in particular. I remember that. Uh so yeah. All right. Let's hear a little bit of straight time of Yeah. Goes to Tom Joe. Gonna bring the mood by, down. Uh, Mr. Springsteen. Got out of prison back in 86. And I found a wife. Walked the clean and narrow. Trying to stay out and stay alive. Got a job rendering. It ain't gonna make me. Darkness before dinner comes Sometimes I can feel the edge Got a cold mind Go tripping across that thin line Sick of doing straight time My uncle's at the evening table Makes his living running hot cars Slips me a hundred dollar bill Says, Charlie, you best remember who your friends are Got a cold mind Go tripping across that thin line I ain't making straight time Well, eight years in It feels like you're gonna die Get used to anything Sooner or later it just becomes your life Kitchen floor in the evening Tossing my little baby's high uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, that's without the East Street Band Straight Time, Ghost of Tom Joe That's when he was oh. sort of off in the wilderness They had parted ways Yeah I got one more thing to say about Springsteen No, no you can say as much as you want, man Uh... Yeah, I do have lots of things to say about yeah, Springsteen, so, but, so, but my, the one thing is that... Um, I think Sam has some stuff to say, too. Oh, yeah. I do. The yeah. way I got into Springsteen was uh, from my sister's uh, ex-boyfriend, who was way into him. And I was like, why are you into that, like, 
muscle-toting, like, <laughs> fist-pumping, <laughs> anthemic dude. Um, wait, wait, and he wait, was wait, like, wait, wait, back up, back up. What is, what is muscle-toting in muscle, your mind? You tote muscles. <laughs> That's what that means. Okay, muscle-toting. Yeah. The only, the only person who ever used the phrase muscle-toting is someone who has neither guns nor muscles. I just went to the gym and, like, so many people were toting so muscles. So pumped. Toting... <laughs> okay. Chaos, um, uh... So... But then his, this guy was like, hey, you should actually listen to the words of Born in the USA. And and then I sat down and listened to her. I was like, holy shit, this is not about America's great at all. This is like, oh, we have failed Vietnam it, veterans. It doesn't fit Reagan's policy. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was just intrigued. And beyond that, it was like, okay, I got to check this guy out. And, yeah. and then for me, since then, Springsteen has been more of a lyricist. I never thought Springsteen was that special musically. But as a lyricist, it killed me. And then, you know, I would go to like 13 shows and be hugging the stranger behind me. And, you know, but so I would get into like the energy side of it and the performance well, well, side well, of so it. Well, so it's, it's hard at, and uh, it's hard to write songs as good as you write. It's hard to write songs as good as you right, write, can, too. We can soon. end the show right there. It's hard to write songs as good as you write. But, but, but what like Springsteen is operating on is this stuff like we just heard from Paul Simon and you know that's it, it's a different level I, I have often postulated it's because we're sort of diluted in this later day age of rock and roll and recorded music where all all the shit that like actually the, the guts of it people were more tapped into it mm-hmm. and now we're just fighting to find scraps and figure out when we can do it and, and when we do it pops up it's fantastic like, I, I will say, like, the new Father John Mesty album, I'm not a fan of him uh, as as a person or his persona that he puts out. That's one of the best albums I've heard in a decade. Really? Yeah, it's it's because he tapped, he got the scraps, man. Mm. And he got the scraps of what that is. And he, But he, he held on to it. Mm. And he didn't, like, something. Like he, he, he just had focus and... It's like, yeah, good stuff, That's right? That's good bourbon. Yeah, it's decent. Sorry. Andrew. One thing that I think is interesting. Taste buds interrupted you. I really, I really was interested in hearing you talk about when you were a sad sack college freshman <laughs> listening to this song and, and how. I how, was actually 34. What? <laughs> and how, how the music resonated, resonated with you in a particular time and place. Right. And for me, um, I came to Bruce Springsteen through um, my friend Amy Luxemburger, who I went to college with. And I, I um, she's. Uh, I think the best singer and songwriter who I've ever known. Awesome. And um, her band uh, called the Huntsville Space and Rocket Center um, <laughs> uh, was a band that played at my at my school. And they you played Amy's songs and the songwriters and the other songwriters in the band. Um, and I recorded and mixed their first record. No, not knowing, I had no idea what I was doing. It was literally the first time I'd ever used recording equipment right, right, right. was to record and mix them. And uh, they sort of also moonlighted as a Bruce Springsteen cover band. And they wow. played um, Thunder Road, and they played Dance in the Dark, and they played a bunch of other ones. And the, I I knew those songs, and somehow their interpretation of those songs like was what let me into Bruce Springsteen, was cool. hearing them performed by somebody else. You needed a buffer. I needed a buffer. Yeah. And, and then, to cement that my relationship with Bruce Springsteen further, three years ago, Amy killed herself. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, just a big blow to everybody who knew her. And she's yeah. just this really incredible musician and an incredibly big hearted person. And like the story so often is like, you know, she, she suffered from like 
mental illness and they changed her meds and mm. in that like right. period of time when she was especially vulnerable that's when it happened so like i hear bruce springsteen and like that's what happens mm. to, you mm-hmm. know and i think that it's interesting as a musician to think about that when you're writing songs for other people like the the words and the music that you put together is only going to be a tiny part of the experience that mm-hmm. someone has with your song potentially right mm-hmm. right because it'll also encompass all this other stuff that happens with them mm-hmm. in their life it's a vessel, right? It's a vessel, yeah. It's a vessel. And it was Springsteen. Oh, it's, it's touched so many people. Yeah. Like, he, it's it's just sort of like vines blooming into the populace. Yeah. And it, it's just everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's nobody, like, that I know that doesn't have some, it doesn't touch. And then it has to do with also, has partially to do with him being in touch with something, but also... I don't think it's it's even being in touch with something. I think it's just like sometimes it's just being basic. I mean, his, his big thing was is during a live show. Have you either of you seen him live? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a, like you know, it is a wild experience. It's a revival because it's it, church. It, it feels like church, and yeah. it feels like he does this whole bit where I don't know. It depends on the tour or whatever, but often he will just scream like, "Is anybody live out there? Is anybody live out there?" Right. And you're just like giving all you got right back, and when he when he's talking to you, you're the only person in the room, right? Yep. And uh, that's an incredible thing. And it, mm-hmm. it it is this sort of you are tapped into, you feel alive, mm-hmm. and there's nothing that that's it. That's that's the drug that people want. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's how he talks to people. Yeah, he's and he and he's one of the few stars I think that can do that that operates on that level, right. like because there's schmaltz. When you, I mean, look at look at you two now, and and you two used to inspire like Grayley, and I mean to some measure they do now, uh, and and I'm not disparaging their talent. They they uh, they have earned totally. what they got, but they don't um, they don't spiritually inspire by For what me, they're though, saying now. Bruce wouldn't. I wouldn't be pumping my fist and toting my muscles as well. <laughs> if, I wouldn't be doing that. I wouldn't connect on that level if he hadn't done songs like Straight Time. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, if it was just the pump of my fist, I, he would have so lost So if it was me. just Born in the Run? If yeah. it was just like I'm on fire? If it was just about like, uh, you know, we're going to um, drink warm beer with girls on a summer's evening in yeah. Asbury Park. I'm not that interested in that. That's not what I connect with. I connected with the dark shit and I connected with straight time and, uh, 41 shots and like the politically, the political ones. Uh, but if he didn't have those, I wouldn't have been pumping my fist there. There had to be that. So this is in fact, one of his most underrated albums. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, the machine has covered it. Uh, everybody's covered it. I mean, it is for fans of folk music. I think, like, people just, it's the go-to. When he did Nebraska, he opened up a whole new audience of yeah. people who weren't just drinking warm beer on the hood of a Mustang, whatever. Uh, so I think you got to have that foundation for you to be able to to do yeah. the, the fist pumping. Um, I'm going to take it in another, entirely other direction. Yeah. It, it, it does, uh, it involves toting muscles, I think. <laughs> uh, muscles uh, might have to... Have muscles enough to lift up eighty to a hundred people, or uh, something like this. Where are we going? We're, trust me, we're, we're, we're going the place. Uh, this is something that is ingrained in, uh, in I think all of us here at least. Uh, it is one of the most uh, remarkable and impactful 
cultural phenomena of the modern era. Um, and it starts with, at least for me, uh, not the visuals of it. It starts with the sound of it. And I'm talking about John Williams. All right. <laughs> and uh, we all here know Star Wars. Tell me it's Jurassic Park. No, it's not Jurassic Damn Park because I'm old, motherfucker. Yeah. Close Encounters. No, it's not even that. It is in, in 1980. Um, there was a little film in 1978 called Star Wars you might have heard of. No. But in 1980, uh, the, the vastly superior sequel came out. And it came with a hit track like this, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you about why this track after this. But uh, you, you guys know what the fuck this is. <laughs> Imperial March from Empire Strikes Back's soundtrack, and what you guys are looking at on this table, you listener can't see, is the actual storybook record that drove this. This is something <laughs> I've carried with me from the age of eight. Wow. So, here's what here's what happens, and this is how I hope music has impacted you this way. Sometimes you get really interested in pop culture, and sometimes you see Star Wars, and you're like, this is going to be fucking awesome. Then, before sequels are even a thing, they're like, wait, there's another Star Wars? You're going to see this. You have a Fisher-Price record player, (laughs) and you say to your parents, you say, hey, you know what? I want the storybook record. Now, and actually, come to think of it, that's the wrong record. The other record is down there. Uh, So, my my, uh, parents, being like doting parents... They went out in Bedford, Virginia, found a record store. I have no idea where, but they get me uh, the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack. But what they brought back was not what Nassim is holding in his hands at that right now. It was the John Williams score. It's a two-disc set of... Not with the story. Not with the story. Completely, like, just all classical music. All soundtrack music. 
And for about five minutes, as an eight-year-old, I was just like, fuck this, man. <laughs> like, this, is bu- this is some bullshit. But as it took me through it, I realized I didn't need anybody to narrate this. Because what John Williams was achieving with his music is what made these films so great. It was what makes music so great is that he could take you on a journey through this adventure that even if even if this is devoid of context you're not going to think of lightsabers you're not going to think of Darth Vader but you're going to you're going to feel something yeah. it is the old it, you know it's what operas are built on you know they they're telling stories and and for whatever reason well and qu- quite literally it's what operas are built on. i mean um yeah, yeah. W- without 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 any disrespect to Mr. Williams like the amount of Wagner that is in the Star Wars score Absolutely. is that's intentional. It's intentional, and I think that I think that's what's interesting that when you say that it's devoid of context, it's actually not devoid of musical well, context. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I think that I think I mean this may be the beer talk, but I think that subconsciously, like we have the ring in our minds when we hear the Star Wars score, <laughs> even if we've never seen it or heard right. it. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's in the culture, and that this music is bringing that stuff along. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. Uh, mm-hmm. the, we were um, we had this discussion on a later on an earlier podcast. We we're talking about like think about like the classical musicians that you can name. Probably two hands, right? Who are alive? Yeah, yeah. Hmm? No, no. Back in the day, famous. Well, Sam's smarter than normal people. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this doesn't count. All right, Sam, name yeah, me fifteen. I'm on two hands with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I could, I could name you fifteen composers, but but your point is taken. I mean, I don't. It's not, it's not what I spend most of my time listening to. Right, for sure. Right, and but my point is like none of this stuff necessarily survived. You know. And yet it persists in our culture. Now yeah. it's been buried under a layer of like celluloid. Uh, and what we're seeing now, I think in 2017, especially more so, you see if, uh, events at Wolf Trap here in D.C. or where uh, they'll come out and play the Back to the Future score to the film. Right. They'll they'll do. And they, I mean, they'll do Star Wars yeah. to the film. Lord of the Rings is doing a thing, which I Look, if that's the extended edition of the scores, like nobody has time for that shit. <laughs> but, but my point is, is that is it is that this stuff is the base of everything, and it is. I think it is basically the only way that many people are exposed to classical music. I agree. At this point, you know, but you get chord changes, you get harmonies, you get scales like actual like this is what a scale should be because i had to follow rules mm-hmm. you get all the rules just by listening yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. whether or not you absorb it or or take it in uh that depends on i guess your body chemistry or your motivation but it it is uh this i i've listened to this soundtrack on a fisher price player <laughs> <laughs> i've listened to it on a walkman i've listened to it uh, blasting in the movie theater many times. I've listened to it on an iPod. Uh, I've listened to it on an iPhone. I've listened to it on a vinyl reissue. Uh, it is, you know, for for me at least, this set the tone for like, oh, this is what this is, oh, so this is what you can do. Mm-hmm. You want to make some noise? This is what you can do. Okay, well, let's do that. There's something really interesting too about the fusion of classical music with like science fiction. Yeah. It's not a natural combination when you think about it in the abstract, but like in our in our minds, like classical music is really inextricably inextricably linked with science fiction movies. I mean there are there are great the, exceptions. The best. 
science fiction films have the best scores. Blade yeah. Runner? Blade Runner's Come great. Come on. Miracle Mile? I don't know if you guys know that film, but it's, it, it was a film. Anthony Edwards was in it before he, he was a big star. Just to the film is this, is that uh, it's actually qu- quite relevant uh, now. Uh, guy answers a phone book in, uh, a phone booth, which doesn't exist anymore, in uh, Miracle Mile in Los Angeles, outside the Brea Tar Pits. And uh, it's a guy in Nebraska saying, the missiles are flying, the missiles are flying. He thinks he's calling his dad. So from there, it's very Hitchcockian thing. It's real time, and it's like, oh shit, the missiles are flying. We have we have busted the Cold War seal, and now we're all going to die. So the question is is in this movie is if this is real or if this is just panic. Tangerine Dream comes in and does this soundtrack, which I've given to Louis Weeks, and I've talked to him about this. And these his new album's definitely influenced by it a little. Uh, that is. Just ratcheted up electronic uh, paranoia, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. And there is no other soundtrack you couldn't do this bombast to that. Yeah, you know? yeah. But yeah. would you say this is your favorite soundtrack score, if you will? No, ET. Oh, another John Williams soundtrack. The piano work on ET is fucking uh, soothing for. Again, yeah, this is gross. You guys weren't born, <laughs> but it was a uh, it was it was an experience. It was a cinematic. There was nothing like it, and you saw it. And it's cool. it's a gorgeous movie, and it part of that beauty comes from what John Williams paired with what Steven Spielberg was doing. Um, do you have a favorite score? Oh man. Um... So, oh, boy, I don't have like a standout favorite. Um, the Philip Glass soundtrack to A Thin Blue Line, it's an Earl yeah, Morris that's movie, amazing. is very, that's very amazing. beautiful. Wow. Um, check that. Uh, this is more recent, but the um, the score to Ex Machina, and if you guys mm-hmm. saw the movie Ex Machina, the really cool electronic score. Yeah, cool. Um, anyway, those are, those are two that I, I think about. Cool. Yeah, I think. <laughs> At at the risk of seeming deeply uncool, I think the score to Amelie is really, really evocative and beautiful um, and fun to play. We're doing this and you're risking being uncool? I know. We're, we're, <laughs> we're approaching a really terrific transition. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. This is going to be amazing. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, good very selection. much. John Williams. Sam, you are up next. So, in 1994, I bought my first album. My I bought my first CD based on what I heard on the radio. And that album was Crazy Sexy Cool by TLC. Nice. Um, which is, I went back and listened to most of it recently, and it's an, it's one of those like late, like early 90s albums which has, I think it might have seven songs and four skits. Oh. Or something. It's like, <laughs> it's very short. And yeah. even beyond that, Creep, which is the song we're going to mm-hmm. listen to, and Waterfalls. <laughs> Waterfalls is a huge sound like, monster. fucking awesome. And the other songs sound noticeably different. And they sound like they... It's, what Really, it sounds like happened. Are there like any other big songs besides O2? No. That I would know let's, without knowing Crazy let, Sexy Cool? Let's, uh, let, let's play Creep, because I haven't heard this in literally ten years. Let's do it. And then, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to grill you on, like, what yeah. the fuck, Sam? <laughs> there we go. Creep by DLC. <laughs>
Yeah. It, it was a ripoff. Creep is no ripoff, though. Creep is not a ripoff of anything. Creep is... That was... Uh, <laughs> we don't have hits like this anymore, do we? No. No, no. I mean, Except Nassim. Nassim has hits like this. So but, many hits. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, Creep is... We were just talking about how it's like a kind of a weird hit. It's like... it's The verses are like low in the register. Mm-hmm. It's not... I can't understand. I don't know any of the verses. I can't sing along with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet, there's something very propulsive about it. I mean, the lyrics are about, like, someone stalking... Is she stalking her boyfriend, or is her boyfriend stalking her? Somebody's stalking somebody, and, uh... I mean, that that's, like, a very, like, mid-90s kind of topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stalking. <laughs> General angst. But, Kevin, you were gonna, you were gonna grill me. Oh, You're, no, no, no. <laughs> I was gonna say it's funny you go from Paul Simon to like this vast swath of like pop landscape. To all yeah. of a sudden you land on like TLC, and there, there is a lot in between there. <laughs> so, so, but not, but not for me at the time, right? Like I, I was, uh, so, so, I was like ten when that album came out, right? Right. And so, like, I'm just, I mean, this is like this is the the golden oh, so this era is a, this of is pop a, this radio, is a, and not only that, this is at like the peak of your discovery of like music exists. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Okay. That that makes more sense. Isn't now. this yeah. also when like Radiohead creep was out? Wasn't creep just like a cool word? Stone Temple Pilots had a song named yeah, Creep. Yeah. <laughs> creep was like the coolest word. I would ever. love to know when those three songs came out. I think Pablo Honey came out. It must have been like the same time. It was 93, Pablo Honey. That's weird. Yeah. And also, there were like a lot of. Um, uh, it's like the, later on there in like the early 2000s, there were a lot of bands with Wolf in the title. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Or Wolf Deer. Mother, or Wolf, Deer. Wolf Parade. But the thing that this, that listening to TLC reminds me more than anything is like, like recording songs off the radio. Like with my like tape deck, totally, and then like record. Like, wait, re- wait, 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 wait! You guys still did that then? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did See, that. I did that until like 2010. Oh, that makes me so happy because yeah. like that was the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have tapes somewhere. You never get the beginning or end of a song because they have, talk over. Have like the entire <laughs> album to studio taped yeah. off the radio. <laughs> yeah, <It's> <laughs> yeah. And then once I had the album, I the would laugh, like make one of the songs. I would <laughs> make people mix it. <laughs> Like once you have the record, you like make people mixes, but you'd actually have to. Like, you couldn't just drag the file into a folder, Mm-mm. right? You'd have to like listen to the whole song. Right. It really. I mean, this makes me sound like a real fuddy duddy, but it totally changes the way. It totally changes the way we listen to music because to have to. I mean, you remember the experience of you? You get an album and you listen to it all the way through because yeah. like you only had so many CDs when you were eleven. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be like, I really like songs one, four, and six. And for a while, you listen to tracks one, four, and six. And then you'd be like, you'd realize that track eight was really actually your favorite. Right. You'd go through this whole discovery process with an album. And then argument does this fuck with up friends. your theory? Yeah. Wait, wait. Does this fuck up your theory if you said I had no CDs when I was 11 because they didn't exist? <laughs> I, I had CDs when I I, I... I think you could start getting CDs in like 88, right? Yeah, I was 11 in 80. Three. Yeah, yeah, but so. okay, okay. So, so yeah, we. No, yeah, no, your, your point is your point is well taken. But we, we collected tapes. Yeah, t- we, same we had tapes. And honestly, we did not get vinyl. Vinyl was the expensive shit. Yeah, vinyl was. But you could walk into whatever the record store du jour in your town was, and there were like just rows and rows of tapes. Yeah, and you could either pocket them if you were uh, of the. Yeah, the perfect of, of that kind of person, of that kind Kevin. Of person, uh, or uh, you can pay for them. I uh, did a little of both. <laughs> yeah, little, 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 little,
funny about this is that this is um this track is I think one of the biggest hits like in music history. Really? Yeah, I mean not on numbers, but like if you ask somebody like do you know what oh, creep yeah, is? Yeah. People know it. You think that, I mean a, this that's a hit in my mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. It, it, Waterfalls. Waterfalls yeah. more so. Waterfalls but. big time. But then you should ask them. I bet it's the biggest song with the there's some sort of ratio in here where tons of people know it, mm-hmm. but no one knows what the words are. <laughs> there's gotta be like a huge <laughs> ratio for that. I have one more anecdote about TLC before mm-hmm. before we move on, which is that in my <laughs> in my fifth grade uh like you know, language arts class or whatever. Um, elementary school, we had to recite a poem from memory, and I decided to recite the rap verse from Waterfalls. Yes, and th- which is hilarious to imagine. All parts of it are Everything hilarious. About this. But what I think really interesting What's is crazy, that I still imagine I, you at that age having a beard. Sam, <laughs> can, can I introduce you to the term cultural appropriation? Well, yeah, absolutely. But but I do think that I did not. Um, I did not as a fifth grader have an understanding that what I was doing right. was borrowing somebody else's culture. And that is not to that's justify beautiful. it. No, that's actually beautiful. That, that Because that's the way it should be. I think you would agree. Mm. Like, I think we've talked explicitly about that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was my music. It was the music that I heard on the radio, and well, I really felt it attached wasn't even, to it. It wasn't even your music. It resonated with it you. It resonated with That's what I mean. And it made you feel something. There was no sense and, of and distance. when you can't react in any other way than like, I like this or I don't. Bomb. Right. Right. You reacted. I like this and I want to imitate right. it. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that's yeah. So that's what I got. All that's right. cool. Nassim, what's uh, what's, turn, your, what's number two, Nassim? Um. All right. Uh. Again. Not. See. I should have like now that I I didn't have context. I would have picked the song. Knocked out by Paula Abdul. (laughs) Great song. On our way to basketball camp for an entire summer, that's all we listened to ever. Like every morning, we're like, you gotta play that. And um, speaking of CDs, I had our current car, the car I drive most days, is a 2005 Subaru Outback. Fuck yeah. And 2005 is that sweet spot where tapes are done and they don't yet have auxiliary Mm -hmm. things. So you can't play anything except CDs. Right. Like a tape player, because you can put the tape in. they don't sell, you remember the tape with the... They still uh, sell that. It, do they? Absolutely. The, yeah, the, the tape... The tape because yeah, the cord the cord, because yeah, we yeah, also yeah. have a 95 Mazda Miata with only a tape player. <laughs> and we have that thing. But th- that said, uh, all of the CDs, just to an earlier point, I, I, I brought out all my CDs and it's just so great. I'm like, oh man, I have to listen to the whole thing. Because it's just such a hassle to change the song. And it's great. It like, forces you to listen to it. It's awesome. All right, anyway. So, an album I had on CD, uh, which destroyed me at the time, um, was Elliot Smith, Figure 8. Uh, and this is the first song off that. This is Son of Sam. All right.
son of Sam, uh, Elliot Smith. Now that is uh, that's a song I've never heard. Cool. I intentionally you you put it up here, and uh, we we talked about this earlier. But uh, there are holes in my in my catalog, mm-hmm. as with everyone, as with everyone, and anybody who says there aren't like is is lying to you. There's a lot of music out there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> too much music. There's out so there. much music out there. And so, so Elliot Smith is one of those ones just just bypassed me for whatever reason. And I, and for a while, I used to worry about stuff like this and uh, some hip hop and even some jazz. And it's like, eh, you know what? You can get to it eventually. Life's yeah. life's a little nice little river. Yeah, you slide down until you don't. And um, <laughs> much like Elliot Smith, and then the river turns into a waterfall, yeah, and they yeah. all die. Yeah. <laughs> but. but you know, hearing that is, I I hear all the people he influenced mm-hmm. because I don't have it's devoid of context. Sure. Uh, that's interesting. So, so so I hear that and I'm you like, the pro- the end I'm product. like, oh sure, everybody does that. Right. Everybody. That's what indie rock artists aspire to. But if you heard that when like you first heard it, or maybe when you first heard it, Sam, like that had to have been completely mind blowing. Because mm-hmm. nobody was doing that. Mm-hmm. Oh, but at the same time, it's very Beatles. I mean, it's he's... Beatles. It's Velvets. It's it's yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's got it's got a snark. It's got a cool. But it, you know, at the time that he he was operating in the nineties, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the nineties, there was nobody doing that. I mean, there was yeah. Oasis, who are the best, who are sadly not on any of our lists, although it could have been. <laughs> uh, but but uh, you know, people have. And, and to that point, the Beatles aren't on any of our lists. We, we just all know who the Beatles are. We didn't have the we didn't have the pleasure of of not ever experiencing anything not Beatles. Well, one like, thing influenced. I love. One thing I love about Elliot Smith is that um, well, I sound Sam that uh, he he would write really what I thought think thought think is complicated music, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't even realize it. Like that's why it was really great is because you don't think that it's complicated. Some people like, this is what I think is Steely Dan. They're complicated and they know it and they shove it in your face. I fucking hate Steely Dan. I will fight all of you to the death about okay. how bad Steely well, Dan is. Well, this podcast turned into a fight. This Sam, is, which side of the audience? This is why. I'm on. You just I'm recently on the Steely Dan side, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. I, 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 anyway. Let's go to Sam. So, Elliot Smith Sam. would write... Tote your, tote your muscles. Would write, <laughs> would write, <laughs> 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 oh, God damn. I'm exposed. Uh... He would write really complicated music, which didn't actually seem like it. It was totally accessible, and I yeah. loved that. Um, and he was no, he was a huge Beatles fan as well, and he was Clearly. totally Clearly. ripping off. But I also loved this sort of contrast of really sad voice uh-huh. with really poppy, like cheery melodies, and it's this amazing um, contra- contrast. That, he was West Coast, right? Uh, he was yeah. from Portland. Yeah. Um, and his first band was called Heat Miser. And, uh, and I, I, we're saying that you could go down this path. Like, you could sort of get get sucked into his world, which was sad. And he ended up killing himself. And it was this really, like, sad story. Mm-hmm. And there are songs that, that are kind of, I don't know, that are sort of in that vein. Uh, and then there's there there are others that are totally poppy and 
totally up and, and right. upbeat. And, um, and I just love that, that sort of contrast and that. So, so you, you guys both being practicing songwriters and you see somebody like this, who's clearly, um, we should mention, I think the way he died was he stabbed himself in the, yeah, in, yeah. In the chest. Uh, you know, we talk about, or we don't, but people think you have to suffer for your art. I disagree with that completely. But when you hear somebody making these songs like this, what is your reaction as a songwriter? Are you are you uh, inspired by that? Are you are I mean, because at the end of the day, it's a form that you guys both operate in very well. And you've had like pretty good success, both of you, like doing this stuff. Not not Elliot Smith's success, but uh, you know. Sam and I have not yet played at the Oscars. That's on the. It, it, does, it does make me think. I mean, I don't think that you have to be suicidal to write great songs, obviously. Right. But I, it does make me. It does remind me how important it is to be vulnerable when you're writing. It, it's right. it's easy. Right. I think for me to to write from a kind of a detached place, like a place of like, um, you know, I'm having fun putting notes together, um, and and hearing people who are great reminds me like oh, you have to do that, and you also have to bring an emotional vulnerability to it. And I think that you could do that and be a relatively emotionally stable person, you know. Yeah. Uh, but like you have to you have to bring your whole self. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's true. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I do think that it, being a little emotionally unstable might help. Actually, yeah, yeah. And why? Because there's something like a little is it, is it the access to vulnerability, like not being able to access that that tenderness, or like because I think there's just something like slightly. Um, socially unacceptable about like being vulnerable in public. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. You know, like just, and I think the people who are oh, many people who are exceptional artists are the kind of people who just can't help it. Yeah. You know, and that serves them well when they're, when they're creating creative material. Yeah. There's yeah. plenty of counterexamples yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I just, there's like a type of like person who can't help but wear their heart on their sleeve. And I think that helps when you're writing songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's funny. I don't think you're a great songwriter, Nassim, and you. I don't find Thanks. you that way. You you seem to be like a a, a very stable person. Um, for example, uh, thanks. <laughs> for example, like I'd be Jeez. happy to like uh, squat babysitting with you once you have a kid. <laughs> cool, thank you. You would trust me with your child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I've I've struggled with that question a lot because I want to say that, and I know Jeff Tweedy talks about it. Has yeah. talked about before, like no, fuck that. You don't need to be tortured to re- to make great art. Um, it's an everlasting question that we're. It's going to be with us for centuries. But for me, it's uh, my problem is that I feel like I wrote great stuff when I was in a dark place, and I can't shake that. So I'm like, shit. Like, if that's the case, and if I'm, um, and then you go to this idea that well, maybe you just sort of need to be inspired and that can be a dark or that can be really light. Right. 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 Um, and I think it just depends on what you're trying to write. If you're trying to write something that's really like pulling on people's heartstrings or really connecting with people and that happens to be in a dark place, then yeah, you'd better be in a dark place because at the end of the day, people can sniff out something that's not authentic. Well, it's it's about, gotta be authentic. It's about empathy. Yeah. 
it's about empathy. It's it's about authenticity. Whatever you're doing, you can't bullshit. Like people pick up, people have really good bullshit. Yes, yeah, they do. Um, and so if you're trying to write something dark and you're not, that's hard. If you're trying to write something witty or smart or light, and that's where you're at, you'll hit it, and that'll be authentic, right? I think it's you've got to be consistent with what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. right. I think that's the key. Yeah, and, Elliot and if Smith, you don't, Elliot happen, Smith clearly was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you don't happen to go to a dark place, you shouldn't be writing dark songs. Simple as that. Like, I'm sorry, like, I would that's agree the way with that. The cards yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it won't be good. It'll be fake. There's something that, like, in in my band, we talk about a lot in in the van and stuff like that. Like, we're listening to a song and you're just not buying it. And there's this term we call like unearned epicness. Right, like you didn't earn that right. the ability to be that epic. You can't be that epic yet. Like you haven't earned it. Uh, so you know they haven't established that sort of a. Well, and from the press side of this, like there are phrases that like not me, but other people use to describe stuff that they they can't tap into. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just as creative, but it is a very different process to like write about music sure. as it is to make music. Oh yeah. And, you know, if you, uh, we were, t- we were talking about the Gorillaz album and it was like everybody writing a thing about a headline about the Gorillaz album. It's like, they never heard a Gorillaz album, right. but it sells. Right. And, and that's a, that's a luxury you guys, you two don't have as an artist. Like Cause nothing sells. Well, <laughs> well, well, there, there is that, but, it, but, but it's also, it's, it's also if people hear that, that. Uh, fakeness in right. in what you're doing. Totally, nobody's going to give a fuck, and they should. That's the key to anything. We live in DC. That's the key to politics. Yeah, right. People see through bullshit. So People easy. see through bullshit. Just do an important and consequential thing, and then you're good. Right. Yeah. Which is a uh, good transition to what I got here. All right. And this was this was a hard. Hard decision because this involves an uh, is actually involves an entire album that shaped me. Uh, and, and well, that's really, cheating. It is. It is. That's why I picked one song, bro. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, it was between uh, one song uh, because there's this remarkable uh, instrumental break in Computer Blue. In what? Computer Blue. Oh, that just. Where Prince just goes off and on a pop album, no less, a soundtrack album, you know, it says, I'm going to do this weirdly composed piece. He explains it in the movie, but if you're listening to it, it's like, why is this like this? So maybe classical or composition, at least, is a theme here uh, Mm -hmm. tonight for me. Uh, But... It wasn't that song really that that got me. It was it was sitting on on the uh, sidewalk listening to a tape uh, of a song that was so dirty it got banned, and and so great it should be just sort of the anthem for everybody as a human. Uh, talking about darling Nikki, so uh, this is Prince's darling Nikki. Cool. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend I met her in a hotel lobby Masturbating with a magazine She said, how'd you like to waste some time And I could not resist 
exist when the soul little naked grind. So, Darling Nikki, which was, uh, so, uh, first of all, uh, to my recollection, I don't think my parents had the talk, and you, you gentlemen know what talk I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that was the talk. Like, I heard that song, and it was like, oh. Man. <laughs> oh, that's this is how it works. But, 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 but in, uh, and, and I've said this sort of a lot of times in this podcast, but, you know, in Lynchburg, Virginia in 1984, they didn't really play black artists on the on the uh, top 40 radio. There weren't a lot of black artists on the top 40 radio, period. But uh, Prince, for whatever reason, rose to the top. And every single off of Purple Rain, I mean, he had Let's Go Crazy. He had uh, When Doves Cry, which is revelatory. Almost was the song I picked. Um, was the, Little Red Corvette? That was 1999. Oh. Uh, that was not played in Lynchburg. We, we never heard it. Uh, um, and but but every song off this album, sitting there and like depending on the song, uh, Panasonic had this beatbox where you could have, you had four EQ settings and they were nice clicky buttons, and you could hit the bass on a couple of them. And so mm-hmm. you had to hit it on when Doves Cry because there's no bass. They hit it on this song and it got all like weird, and it. Uh, they played this song, to my knowledge at least, one or two nights. And this is when Tipper Gore was going. This is like literally when they were putting stickers on stuff. And yeah. saying, Wait, what was the band that Tipper Gore came out against? Was it like Twisted Sister or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you had these DJs in a remarkably conservative town. Jerry Falwell's, like, uh, what was it, the old-time gospel hour? I don't know. Thomas Mm -hmm. Road Baptist Church. Uh, Liberty University is there now. And 
you had these remarkably conservative town with these DJs who like rock and roll and trying to get the shit out. And I know at least two nights that they got this out because we were just like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> you just, and this is important because you had the radio on every night. I did. Right? I did. Back, back, back to what we were talking about in, in taping stuff. Like, I, I'm not joking, Nassim. I have the studio front to back <laughs> on tape because they played every fucking song. And and this was the thing. So you had, like, at, in the 80s, you had from about 82 to 86, it was this golden era of all these pop songs were great. And then you had Prince storming in and be like, yeah, what if I just fucked all this? Right. And it, it was not a thing that uh, conservative white America was right. necessarily prepared for. and uh, But it did change a lot of people. It certainly changed me. I mean, that that song more than any other. Uh, I mean, I, I am very partial to the beautiful ones because of the passion at the end of that. There's, you've got Sam Cooke, you've got Otis Redding, you've got, uh, you know, Marvin Gaye. There's never been anybody that hits that level except for Prince on the beautiful ones at the end of that. Like, do you want me or do you want him? Because mm-hmm. I want you. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, just the line. It's just like, mm-hmm. I just erased 20 years of soul history. <laughs> <laughs> but the way he delivers it is fucking fantastic. But it was this song, being able to hear it, and being able to hear it sitting on a fucking curb that, I just looked around like, oh shit! Because you're so you're sitting on the curb like outside of your house. Paint us the picture. Yeah. Sitting on the curb like two houses up, and we're about an hour. You away. You get your boombox out. Yeah, we're about an hour away from curfew. We got our paint us on the boombox. Wait, curfew? Yeah. Wow. What time was curfew? Ten p.m. Ten. All right. Weeknight. Weekend. Weeknight. No, I mean weekend. Weekend. Okay. Yeah, weekend. Yeah. Yeah. We're just saying. BMX bikes, laying <laughs> in the grass. Because that's how you do. Yeah. Some people had some skateboards out. Had a vision gator. Wow. That was a nice thing. With some bones, trucks. And, yeah. And so this is, I mean, and it's why I was like, this is the way to do this format of this podcast. This is how music impacts people. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I can smell, like, when I heard this. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys probably can't. You guys just smell like Sam. Yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> but, told you I walked over here. Yeah, 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 smell yeah, yeah. But 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 it is a hearing this as opposed. I mean, when Doves Cry was huge, right? But it was it was every night. It was every goddamn night. This was just like I think they're talking about something I don't know about, but I might want to know about it someday. But that's interesting that you're you're sitting there in a world that is sort of defined for you, and suddenly this alien spaceship comes right. down. Right, that's exactly how it is. Like penetrates your world, and you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, there's something else out there." Mm-hmm. That's wild. That's then, music. Yeah, your turn, Sam. All right, this is the one that I this is the <laughs> one that I connect the least with to, at this point in my life. This is uh, two step. By the Dave Matthews Band. All right, um, and uh, we just let's just let's just listen to it. Okay, absorb it.
ties You and me ride upside me down Oh well, celebrate we will Cause life is short but sweet for certain Before that, we're driving around campus, and I'm like, I wonder what college kids are listening to now. And mm-hmm. we drive by a dorm, and I hear fucking Dave Matthews could be coming out of Dave the Matthews. Windows. So, so, so here's here's the interesting thing. So, a little context, like you know, you came to him like like when Dave Matthews was exploding was literally when I was in college, and this was like sophomore through like junior year, and and he had this circuit. Where he would, he was based in Charlottesville. There's this great club called Tracks. It's where Fish got literally their start. I know they, they go to uh, what's what's the club in the higher ground in in Vermont? Oh, yeah. But really, it was coming down. We played there. It was, it was coming down the southeast. They play Tracks, and if you look at any of Fish's like live downloads, the best shows you're gonna find are, are Tracks in like the early nineties. And there was as evidenced by the Horde tour, a thing going on at that time where people, uh, Jerry Garcia had, had just died. Like, or later on had just died. And, uh, and the dead were, that were the ideal. Mm-hmm. And they were ideal that not a lot of people really, really embraced, but they could embrace it light. So I need to back up that statement because Jerry Garcia died in 96, but the dead started like faltering in about 92 and he started having problems. And this is when Remember Two Things came out and then this album. Dave Matthews slipped into this pocket of, of just people who wanted to jam. Yeah, it's. I mean, and and that that is without like any of the music that we're talking about. He had the best drummer, Carter Beaufort, the best horn player, Leroy Moore, the best bass player, Stefan Lassard, the best fiddle player, Boyd Tinsley. He had the best people. All based on a little gig in Miller's in Charlottesville, where he can play his hippie tunes with Tim Reynolds. He's a wild dude, but he uh, somehow parlayed this into and kept it going to where you heard it, and we're like, "Fuck yeah!" Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just it was just like the. It, it was just the, the reason that I, as a thirteen-year-old, got excited to learn how to play the guitar. I mean, like really simply, it was That's like. All. It was like, I want to know how to play these. I mean, I, yeah. I had been playing a little before then, but it was like... I can actually see that. But it was like, I knew, you know, I knew some chords, and then I hear this guy doing something I didn't understand what it was, and I, I wanted... It was it felt like a challenge. Which is... Like, I really have a hard... I kind of like that song now. I have a hard time connecting with this music now. And this was interesting about this conversation. Even that? I, I have to... I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. But, like... Like... 
uh, crash into me and like the Dave Matthews slow jams. I'm like, I have a hard time with them <laughs> at this point. It's what's interesting about this conversation in general, which is like, there's the music that get you started. And in some way, like I much later on, like, you know, like made new friends who are into other kind of music and they exposed me to all kinds of other stuff that I then connected to on a much more permanent basis. But like, when I was growing up in like Fairfax County, Virginia, like I had no, there was no record store nearby. Right. There's no, like I, there are no like websites you could go to. Wait, do you have, right. I, I don't even know. Do you, you have an older sibling? I, what interesting, actually my older brother, I never lived with him. He's 11 years older, older half brother lives in Iowa city. He was a rock radio DJ in uh, Cedar Rapids, <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> Yeah. So he never would, lived with them. So never lived with them. So he would occasionally send me a tape, but it was always like stuff that was on. It was always like alternative rock stuff mm-hmm. on the radio. Um, some stuff that I didn't know, but a lot of stuff that I I did for you know Green Day and The Offspring, and right. that stuff, um, which I which I listened to a lot of the time. But uh, you know, you when you're 12 and you don't have access to like a record store yeah. or whatever, like yeah. you're you're like the radio at that time was the only way that you had access to music. Really, mm-hmm. you know, totally. And this this seemed really different than the other than the stuff that was on the radio at the time, and it got yeah. me excited about learning to play the guitar. And it's interesting now, like I got. So I, got, I, I, how do you feel like listening to it like in this basement? Like you, you just heard it, you're like, yeah. How does that sound now? Yeah, I, actually, I'm like, man, there's a lot. There, there's a lot of interesting musical touches, right? There's a, like right. The, like the the musicianship is very high. Yeah. Um, it feels very overplayed in a way, like <laughs> like. Nassim, while we were listening to it, was playing was playing the air symbols, and he used like all twenty six <laughs> air symbols that he had at his disposal. There's a there's a lot of that in that song. I mean, it's it's the polar opposite of the Elliott Smith stuff, which is like it sounds it is complicated, but comes across very simple. Yeah. The Dave Matthews Band stuff, like ultimately, is it's pretty simple. Come, but totally. like Jesus, they're, yeah. they're playing all the notes. Totally. Um, yeah. And at the same time, like there's there are a lot of touches <laughs> that I that I do really like, and they're a really good sounding band, and uh, there's a lot of interesting elements to it. I really like, like when they, like I said, like when they go minor, I love it, and then yeah. it, and then it becomes major and happy, and let's celebrate and drink the what? elixir of life. And I'm like, ah, well, that's that's, 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 that's why that song, that song, and uh, and Halloween are for you. But I, I will say, uh, Satellite is actually quite a Quite a jam. Yeah. I mean, not if you're in college and every kid is learning to play that on guitar around you, and you just want to see. Would you rather guitar. it be How that? Have guys and, gotten laid in college? Than, no, no. Would <laughs> without you rather satellite. It be, yeah, exactly. How would guys getting laid without satellite? Or in my age, how would guys getting laid without learning how to play "Patience" by Guns N' Roses? Yeah. <laughs> like, which would you rather hear, though? I mean, I would. I would. Uh, Patience, absolutely. Yeah. Because. That's true. I, that's, yeah, that's, if someone that's, started playing patience and could do the whistling on that. Yeah, like no, oof, you had a wingman. You had a wingman <laughs> right there. You, you just got to play the C chord. Yeah, and then you got a wingman just, yeah. just whistles in. <laughs> right. All right. Save me for myself, Nassim. What's next? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Fine. God damn it. Uh, all right. Nineteen ninety-seven uh, or eight. I always forget. My favorite albums in the world were all like ninety-seven, ninety-eight, mm-hmm. which is totally. Wild. Uh, there was Time Out of Mind by Bob Dylan. There was Mule Variations by Tom Waits. And then OK Computer. Uh, and this song is yeah. uh, Let Down by Radiohead. All right.
Moonshape Pool. Moonshape Pool. Moonshape Pool makes the last album look like. What? You like Moonshape Pool? Love it. Yeah. I listened to it and I thought it was totally fine. Have you listened to it more than once or twice? I. No. Yeah, we. No, I listened to it like 15 times. Oh, shit. And it's. Usually that's my argument. Usually I'm just like. Have you listened to it more than once? Which is a funny argument like, to make. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm like, boom. But it's funny. It's a funny argument, Nick. You're like, because it's like, um, did you listen to that album that you did not enjoy <laughs> ten times? Like, no, I didn't enjoy it, so I stopped <laughs> listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> did you we're, your piece? we're talking about letdown. We're talking about OK Computer. That is, uh, to my mind, this is gross. Taste it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is that is to my mind one of the only perfect songs in existence. Whoa, that is there. There's a bill that Happy Birthday, yeah, and, and Tom Thumping. <laughs> I don't know. Happy Birthday is a good song. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm no no. no go on. I'm, per- perfect songs. You keep talking. I'll think I still want to talk songs. about Chumbawamba. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That where that arrives in OK Computer. Uh, when OK Computer arrived, OK Computer was an album about uh, George Bush. <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't know it yet. Yeah, they they just didn't know it yet. HW. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was about HW. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, sort of. But it, it was... Here, here's the thing. Radiohead has existed always. Radiohead is interstellar, guys. They're knocking on the wall of Radiohead going, come on, man, you gotta, you gotta do this thing. <laughs> Um, when that arrived, there was nothing like that. There was nothing to expect it like that because what we knew of British pop, I think, was Oasis, quite literally, and the Benz, which was chasing Oasis. Right, the Benz is a great album. I still contend, and uh, numerous members of our staff will argue against this that Pablo Honey might be Radiohead's best album. Uh. Disagree. At least wholeheartedly. Yeah, but 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 the bands happened and people really latched onto that. And so there was no expectation for OK Computer. And there certainly was no expectation for this song. Mm-hmm. Uh because if you're gonna go abrasive, which OK Computer did, airbag mm-hmm. starts with this huge fucking riff. Uh uh Paranoid Android what the fuck is that song? What is that song? Right. Like, like, and then, although I've seen uh, talk on local news, I've seen uh, North Country, Andrew Grossman perform that song, and he's the only person I've seen who can pull it off. Really? It's, it's amazing. Hard. It's hard to pull off. Yeah. Um, but, and then this, like, weird... I don't even want to say Britpop gem, just buried in it. Yeah, it's a sleeper. Yeah. But it was a huge hit. Was it? Yeah. It um, was, It was, this was the one where he had the jar filling up where he has no, lazy eye. No, that is no, 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 that's that's no, no surprise. Oh, no, shit. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if there's a video for this. Really? What's interesting thinking about this record now, I mean, this record for me is also like a life changer, but... It's interesting thinking about what music, where music is now, and thinking that this band, at the time, I felt like they were a really influential band, and mm-hmm. I did for a long time. And now I feel like what's popular in pop music has very little to do with Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, mm. that's um, interesting. I you mean, would, everything you would have expected moment. to see byproducts of it. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, see by products. All the deer bands, all the <laughs> all the wolf bands, <laughs> all the wolf bands. Like I, I mean, look, they they inspired like the the joke about like if you saw the Pixies back in the day, like you or uh, you wanted to start a band. Yeah, and that's and a, if you saw that's what Cobain said. Yeah, yeah, and if you saw Radiohead, you wanted to start a band. Yeah, I don't know though because Radiohead was. The Pixies, what they were doing was so cool and and weird and still doable. And I I've always felt like Radiohead does this stuff. I don't think I, the Pixies was doable at all. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's done it. So I mean, well, Radiohead they're so restless, and that's what's interesting about them to yeah. me is that's actually they just they they put out a bunch of songs they figured out, and then they hunker down and they want to do something different. And, and I really admire else. that. So this tune for me. It's the only tune that consistently, and it just happened right now, I know they're baiting you, but during that bridge, and when it builds, uh, I like the hair, on my, the hair on my arms goes up. So, so do, you chase you that, do you chase that as a songwriter, or do you just let it go? No, yeah, you can't. Like, I, I, I can't repeat that. No, it, it does make you want to uh, like do something epic. Right and do something like like a symphony and do something. I had the cat didn't know there was a cat here. Yeah. <laughs> that just scared the fuck out of me. Gus, uh, Gus what's happening, buddy? Um, yeah, and uh, I think we'll tr- I'll try to do that, but you have to be like you let that go. Like that is a beautiful moment in time. And then for me, you, and that was think, a do you very... think something like that like happened by accident, or do you think that that, that was literally a planned thing? I don't know. As a musician. Both yeah. of you guys. I mean, I, I can tell you. Like, I mean, my opinion is, yeah, it was an accident. Yeah, I'm sure it was. They stumbled I mean, into it. Yeah, the best moments are usually accidents. The best moments are not Sarah saying, like, I'm going to make people cry at this moment. Um, And when they do, it stops feeling authentic. And it stops feeling, if it's for that purpose, it stops feeling right. And it, st- it starts feeling a little cheap. So I think it it had to be, you know. I think that I mean I, what's brilliant about the song is that it doesn't f- feel like a song that has a lot of distinct sections, right? Right. It feels like a song with just a couple of different musical ideas that get developed, right? And that's why the end of the song has so much power. It's just a sort of the cumulative effect of them permuting these mm-hmm. couple of musical ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does sort of seem like the thing where you you have a couple of ideas and you just get together and you start playing it and you see what happens. Um, and just small decisions, I think, became big things like, okay, in the second verse, let's have Phil start playing the snare. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, right, right, right. And on paper, it's like, cool, that sounds good. Let's make the second verse different than the first. In execution, like, that's a really powerful moment. And yeah. that it really sort of hits you hard when it's like, oh my god! Suddenly, this song is driving like it wasn't driving before. Well, one of the things about Radiohead that I find so weird is that when you read accounts of you know their early years, it's like the record label signed them, and then they had to go learn to play their instruments, and then they released Pablo Honey, and it's this yeah. model that is so. Antiqu- like it just doesn't exist anymore. The right. idea that you'd sign a band 
that was like weird and had some promise, but like didn't have their shit together. Like I mean, nobody it, gets a record I mean, contract if you, that if you've way. You've heard the on a Friday demos, right. which any Radiohead fan has. Right. They're not good. No, they they are well. Well, they, I, I take it back. They, they are. They're, they're fine. No, but they're fine. They they are what there was a there was a thing going on in England at the time, and and Oasis dominated it. Mm-hmm. So it was like you either are Oasis or you're not, and Oasis is the band that's going to be coming out of that, and Oasis did. So um, the the producer yeah. of our our last album. And the EPs before that was yeah. was the producer of Creep, um, yeah. And speaking of creeps, uh, and you know, there's a whole story behind it, which was like, you know, not surprisingly, that was a throwaway song. That was like, right? They were like, ah, oh, yeah, fine. I guess we'll do this. And the producers, there, there were two. It was Paul and and his his colleague Chris, and and they were like, no, you guys, I think you might be onto something there. You should try it out. And they're like, okay, fine. But that's, you know, it's such a, of course, like, that's how that story goes, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. But then they had to step it up with the bands, and then they stepped it up further. And as you said, Sam, like, and then they kept reinventing and reinventing. They continue to try. And this is, this is the great thing about Radiohead is, like, even if they fail, which I think they have a few times, like, they, they continue to try. It's what every band should do. I remember watching the the stream of on MTV two of when Kid A came out in like yeah. two thousand. Yeah, they just played it, and there was a they just showed a record player spinning while playing the full Kid A. Yep. And I remember being like, I don't know, I don't know if this is very good. And I listened to it like ten more times. I'm like, this is the best album ever. Uh, yeah, yeah. Back in the I mean, on the old pirate networks, like when that leaked, yeah, that was a big thing. Yeah. Do you still feel that way? About what? About Kid A. Do you still feel like Kid A is... I still think it's great. Totally. My my affections have shifted a little bit towards a couple of their other records, but mm-hmm. something about the the place it had in the musical universe at the time it was released was mm-hmm. really powerful. Yeah. I also like the tune Optimistic, because it's like one of the few Radiohead songs like I can play on guitar that sounds <laughs> exactly <laughs> like it. So, I like so for utility's sake, optimistic is good. Yeah. yeah. All right, Kevin, take us home. What are we? Uh, what are we doing? Uh, we're gonna do something a little. Um, this might could have been expected, but not necessarily. Uh, one of the bands that I think uh, honestly shaped Radiohead. Didn't they? Bear with me Bold here on this. Uh, there, there was a. Uh, a little band out of New Zealand called Crowded House that had uh, fronted by, uh, oh, damn, what's his name? <laughs> Crowded House? Neil Finn? <laughs> yeah. Um, Neil Finn, Nick Seymour, and Paul Hester. And they broke out from uh, Split Ends, which were a huge success, a pop success, and said, we want to do something else. And nobody had any, I mean, this is like the the Finn brothers were just these kids who did stuff. And in uh, 1986, they released their debut album, self-titled, and had a hit immediately with Don't Dream It's Over. 
Yeah. Which, to my mind, has one of the uh, best guitar solos huh. ever. It's it's efficient. <laughs> it's totally totally pleasing. It is, uh, and the message of the song is gorgeous. That song has persisted as one of the greatest pop hits in in I think music history. Period. But on the basis of that song, that besides Prince, that's also what I heard on the curb. Uh, and I bought the album, and 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 there was this weird ass fucking song on this that was all about death, and it was all about loss, and which if you eventually dug into. Crowded House's catalog, you'd find out that all of their songs are about this. Okay. So, so in an age where where uh, Don't Dream It's Over exists, you also had a track like Hole in the River. Uh, so, Embrace the Darkness. Sweet. So here I am at 14, and I hear that transition, and uh, I don't know anything about music at all anymore. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I mean, I, I have heard... Like, what clown is going to murder I, me now? Yeah, I have, I have been influenced by the Beatles, <laughs> Led Zeppelin, The Doors, I've, I've gone through all these phases, and I hear that, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on with right. life? Right. Uh, this is why, uh, this card house remains to this day... One of my favorite bands of all time. They, um, Neil Finn's a weird dude, uh, as far as like his efficacy in songwriting. I think, at least with this band, you know, he, uh, Paul Hester uh, unfortunately committed suicide. Uh, and it was at a time when people were really like, hey, Crowded House could come back. And it was because people had forgotten. Because they were, they were, they they had the the best pop hits, but they were they also had the weird 
puppets. If if either of you have not listened to Woodface, go home tonight and listen to it. Okay. It will make your life better. It is fucking phenomenal. It is it is outside of the White Album, I think, the greatest work of pop music, period. Wow. Damn. Woodface. Mm-hmm. Well, and a clown won't, won't murder me? They might. They might. <laughs> okay. But that's the part of... that. That's... Like, there are no limits. You guys' songwriters in this. There are no limits of what you can talk about, and there's no limits of what yeah. you can, like, the stories you can tell. Mm-hmm. As soon as you put limits on it, it becomes boring as fuck. Right. Uh, but this was always, and, and look, it was, this was humorous. This album is humorous until that. And it's a song about his aunt dying. Who just, she just never showed up. And and people are like, the fuck? <laughs> well, I've never heard of this band. Private House? Yeah. And you know the song. Hey now, hey now. Don't dream how, it's how does Fellow Creatures exist and you've never heard of this band? I, I, so I don't keep know. saying, hey now, hey now. <laughs> hey, keep, maybe I'll get it, but you just keep, keep at it. Over. I'm going to listen to it. Maybe I, I, maybe I know. But I mean, the, the reason I mention that is that um, th- there's, uh, ah, there's all this weird ego involved in being a musician and what music you do I and agree. do not know. Yeah. You know, and I always have this tendency to like lie. And people will be like, oh, you hear the new record by so-and-so? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought it was pretty good. And I, like, what? You know, the, and the reason is you feel like you have to you have to stay on top of things. You have to be current. Um, and that is actually, like, really um, counterproductive. Because, like, what you really need to do to be a musician is just, like, be open to continually learning about music. Yeah, totally. Um, and and part, of the, I, part of the reason I picked the songs I did is because, like, there's sort of... Like the TLC song is like sort of embarrassing that like that like that's one of my earliest musical memories because it's not like a great work of art and yet like that was one of the things that really influenced is it me. Not, though? Yeah, but it's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, like, it's, right. I, I mean, I mean, let, let, let's back up that uh, that and be like, there's a tendency in everything we like to to if we want to plug into pop culture and like you view it from that lens, like that's not cool. That's not cool, but. As technicians, as people who know music, mm-hmm. is that not the best? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it is. Uh, it, listening to it again after not hearing it for a long time, it does feel like this is a this is a a particularly good work of craftsmanship. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, um, the playing's good, and there's it, the it's it's mixed in a way that has a very distinctive sound. You know. Um, Anyway, but just the the uh, the burden of coolness uh, on on music is interesting. I think it, yeah, yeah. for me it, mm-hmm. it steered me in the wrong direction for a long time. It mm-hmm. it can make you um like want to get into things not because you personally connect with them, but because you think you should connect with them, or because you think they totally. have social cachet or whatever. Totally. Um, and no, just like I, staying I, true to there are a lot of bands who I've come across. It was like the coolest thing to like them, uh, and I never got into it ever. Um, and I feel that about pop culture too. Like I, I'm damned to hell because I still don't really connect with Big Lebowski. Um, <laughs> and everyone hates me for never like hey, loving hey, Lebowski. Sam, step aside. We're gonna have to. Uh, yeah, see, <laughs> lane this here. is like, No, 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 I, no, no. I, Everyone wants to educate. No, no. no. So, so I, that there is. I think you're right. There's a burden of coolness and things like that. So yeah. the fact that you can. Uh, 
Yeah, the fact that we can sort of... I'm going to erase that burden of coolness. Is it that you don't like Big Lebowski, or you just... I just didn't quite, like, get the hoopla. Okay. I was like, it's a so cool, like sort of quirky movie. It's that, that, cool. That's a fantastic no, take. No cooler to me because, than, because no art, than all dogs no go art, to heaven. Like, people wrote bad reviews about dogs. your album. Right. People, I mean, people... They did? Like, yeah. I, beat I mean, up. maybe they did. I don't know. But, but people write good reviews, bad reviews. People... Like react to stuff, right. and that's why we're doing. It. Like the the three tracks we all played are wildly different. In like mm. in mine, especially, I, I realized after the fact that like I'm just really fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> I told you all of mine were from mid nineties, right? Right. right. Um, so, but but it's good because it sh- it showed like the scope of things that yeah. like when you say to me, Sam, that you don't know Crowded House at all. Like, I'm sending you a zip file with every single thing. Yes. And I know if you have time, you'll study it. But it, you'll it, listen to it. all of this makes me, que- it does make me question, like, how we consume now and what cuts yeah. through the clutter. And this is why, like, one thing that makes me not cool now is is the whole Father John Misty thing. Like, I don't think musically he's that interesting. I get that he's got this biting, biting sarcasm. You should hear the new album. I know. <sighs> he's he's not. He, he is not. But what are you going to say? I want to hear what you're saying. Yeah, 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 you're saying. Uh, like I, I wonder. Like Kevin, I obviously trust your taste. Mm-hmm. I will listen to it because you have said I no, should listen to it. Don't trust me. Uh, just because like, just because we have the same. I, I do wonder. There's no reason. What are you talking about? This is radio. I have uh, I have flowing locks down to my knees, um, but this is uh, he's to me. He's also someone who's very cool to like right now, and he's yeah. also someone that like a lot of people are like, "Oh, have you checked it out?" And only uh, I just I, I just so maybe I'm just a jaded musician who's whatever been around a little bit, but it it also is this idea that you know how much of stuff is sort of genuine appreciation or, you know, just because other people like it. Uh, and yeah, nah, I, I don't know. There's, there's some things that obviously like, I think should deserve, like, I think Jason Isbell is an awesome writer and I'm psyched. And like, for someone like that, I'm like psyched that they're getting like great. Right. Accolades but at the same time, like, like specifically for Jason Isbell, like, he just put out a song, and the, and the headline was, "He's the best goddamn country writer of all time." Yeah. And it's like that's not true. Yeah, and a lot of people are just like clamoring you because it's hot and it's buzzy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think that matters a lot for how do people too. make decisions and how they choose to, to how they decide how they want to listen to things. So, so, so I just always you... want to like put a. Yeah, no, no, no. It's so, always great when people so put that, up things with, that, that seem like they're in a vacuum, that seem like they're not just a result of other people because they said it was right, cool. Right, So, 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 effectively, we have recorded an hour and... We've recorded two hours. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Jesus. Of us, of us just getting Bullshit. drunk. Of us just getting drunk and listening to tracks that we like, which is fine, because uh, I, I think that's important to put out in the world, because people... Like you never heard Crowded House, maybe so- this is this is gonna be awful. Nassim, try not to react too Uh-oh. terribly. Maybe somebody's never heard of Bruce Springsteen. It's true. Yeah, it could happen. You know, but to the point that you were talking about is 
how we consume this stuff. Uh, or why you're hip to it in the first place. Or why you're hip to it in the first place. I I think it comes down to uh, something that... Uh, I don't know if something as you as artists need to accept. I, I, I don't know yes. what, what it is. That people... Uh, there, there aren't a lot of people who actually appreciate music. Mm. There's I a lot of people right. who appreciate noise. Yes. But there aren't a lot of people who appreciate, like, fine... And I say fine art because I, I believe if you take the time... Like, Sam, if you take the time to craft a song, that's fine art. That it, And that is an art. That it, And that's math. That's science. That's all these things in, in it. But... I don't know how many people uh, out there are keyed into that as as opposed to they're like, this is pretty good noise. I'm getting drunk and I'm probably getting laid later. Well, and I think I'm glad you bring this up because I um I got an interesting conversation with a friend of mine recently about Beyonce, and uh, she was talking about how much she likes Beyonce. Your friend or Beyonce? My friend likes Beyonce. Okay. Yeah. I have not had a conversation with Beyonce, although okay. I would like to. She yeah, seems yeah. very interesting. She's lovely. Yeah. Um, and my friend was saying how much she admires Beyonce for a whole bunch of very legitimate reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Beyonce is an incredible visual artist. She's an amazing singer. Um, uh, her body is like a political statement in and of itself. Mm-hmm. She makes yeah, incredible political statements. And I agree with all that. And at the end of the day, I was like, you know, I really admire her and I like her as a person. And I don't really enjoy this, the songs mm-hmm. most of the time that, with, with some notable exceptions. But for the most part, like I don't love Beyonce's songs. And it is interesting to be in a musical culture where that objection, like I'm not that into the songs feels superficial. Right. You know, some some I'll be like mm. so to say that it's the music that I'm not that into is like beside the point. And obviously, I mean, th- well, there are young there's so much like, other stuff. There's so <laughs> much other stuff: the yeah. visual and the yeah. political the and message. the symbolic and the personality. Like that, all is part of the art form, and that's always been true. But you know, I, I I'm like the way that we got introduced to music. It was like this unembodied stuff being piped into our radios or whatever. Right. And it was right. just the sounds that were coming through when we were trying to make sense of the sounds. And I have a real attachment to that stuff. But, but, yeah, but, but but I mean, I, I guess that's what seems to be lost now is that like, I am a fan of Lemonade. Uh, me too. I, 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 I think that's one of the greatest like soul R&B albums ever made. But that doesn't matter. That's just like what I. <laughs> that's what I feel about that, and and if if you are someone who doesn't, then fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't make you know. There are songs on that album. There, there are parts of that album that are politically important and that can potentially shape what happens in the next few years, but. If you if you are looking at it as strictly, this is the thing. This is the thing I'm wax. And this is what I have to evaluate. I mean, and, and I think that's what a lot of times people aren't artists aren't willing to open themselves up to. Mm. Like, what did you what did you just do? 
What's the effect? What 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 impact did you want it to have? Beyonce has an effect because she is a in a position of power. So there could have been like eleven shit songs on that. <laughs> there weren't, in my opinion. But if it if if you feel the songs weren't great, but regardless, they were out there, and that wasn't necessarily what she was actually talking about, because it gave, she regained the platform. She walked out in the Super Bowl and right. did formation. And 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 that is uh that's a whole nother side. And it's something we talked about uh you know, as we start to maybe wrap this up. Or maybe maybe we'll go into I gotta, hour I gotta, three. I gotta wrap it up. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe we'll go into hour three. I mean Gizmo came down here, it never <laughs> happens. But uh but 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 as we start to get into that, you know, a, a lot of what I spent before and in fact the last conversation I had before the election was with you, the same mm. about what happens if Donald Trump is in power, and what happens if this is our reality? This is now our reality, and what's the reaction to it? We we talked uh, a lot off mic, and a lot of us have talked a lot off mic about how this affects creatives, whether it's like depression, whatever right. it is, but uh, it's an, I, I think it is not just an important topic i think it's the most important topic because all the people i talked with were like maybe it'll be okay that that was their take like i don't want to say something because maybe it'll be okay well look it is uh what is it 27th april 27th correct it's not fucking okay all right i will say that i think that music uh and art in general uh, the more defunded it gets, uh, the more important a role it's going to play, right? But but, uh, but 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 expand on that. Like, how how important a role? Like, does that mean getting into like community centers? Does that mean getting into uh, people's minds? Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I I mean, I get the sentiment. I'm not. I'm not challenging that. Yeah, I I don't know uh, what it looks like, but it does feel like there's a ton of energy. Uh, and yeah, I feel like there is, and there's got to be. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of questions around whether uh, what is protest, what is resistance look like. Is there a sense that um, rock and roll is particularly suited to do that? Probably not. Um, and rock Why and roll not, at though? this point, and this might be opening up a rabbit hole, but. To me, it's irrelevant, if not dead. Uh, all the energy in terms of political awareness is in hip-hop right now. Um, and frankly, I, I think that, to me, this was introduced uh, during that Super Bowl when, mm-hmm. if you remember, Beyonce played, came on with formation right after Coldplay. Yeah. Um, you don't remember Coldplay because Coldplay did the most anodyne well, Let's it was just all Chris just Vaughan. get together. It was, it was just, but it was terrible. It was yeah. irrelevant. That yeah. it was worse than terrible. It was irrelevant. Yeah. And Beyonce was so irrelevant with formation. We uh, we, we we actually uh, to this point we actually sort of decided to back out of the Newport Folk Festival this year, like going in there because, uh, as my lady put it, uh, she's like, "This is the uh, pinnacle of just mediocre white dudes, yeah, doing the thing," which. 
Sam, you and I are white dudes. You're some whiteish, whiteish. <laughs> you know, is is a weird thing to say, but I, but, but I guess that's what I'm saying. You, you, <laughs> the new you have on, not you in Kingsley, in Kingsley Flood. You have not shied away from political uh, topics and mm-hmm. or songs, but in general, people are not really about that. They're like, oh, well, I got my thing, and I think. Now is the time when we have to, because for two reasons. One is very selfish, if you're an artist. You write a song that calls out everything that's going on right now, you're going to embed yourself on billions of kids. The other reason is just like you're actually choosing sides. I think, mm-hmm. yeah. And I and I hate that it's come to that. I hate that it is that we are at that point where art is uh, at the uh, cutting edge. But you're not gonna like who's gonna play the Trump party for whatever, right? The nudge. The B Street Band, I believe, is who played. <laughs> no, they backed out. <laughs> the cover band backed out? Yeah, yeah, the inauguration. Uh, yeah, they awesome. were hired, and then they backed out. Yeah. So, you know, as songwriters, so again, I don't think... I, de- I definitely, uh, after the election, I was like, oh, I want to write songs that very clearly state the things that I think are important. Like, it really, it really changed my sense of what songs really? have to be about. Um yeah, like it wasn't time for you like feel that's temporary or or permanent. Oh God, I hope it's temporary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah. mean, I mean, because I think yeah. there, I think there's a. I mean, for two reasons. One is obvious. Uh, the other is that like I think that there is a role for like sort of um, moody lyrical music that is not like like calling out the reality of climate change or racial injustice, right? right? I think that like. Music that explores the like contours of the um, the like what it means to be a human being is important, but in this particular moment, it feels like there are there are there are pressing matters. And was that? Did you feel that because it was it was about more about you in the sense of like I just got to get this shit out there, or was it like I actually want to have impact? I want to influence people. It's the latter. It's like it feels like the it feels like there's a void in the culture. Who are you trying to influence? Ugh, that's a good question. Um, who am I trying to influence? I mean, not a whole lot of people. Um, <laughs> but, watching the narcissism take hold. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just kidding. No, no. It's, it's not that I have. It's not that I have visions of like affecting bazillions of people. It's more like um, that. I think that it's important that there is like a vibrant artistic culture in the country that that um so you that want to be part of it. You that I want to be part of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not like I'm like I'm gonna make a hit. (laughs) It's not like that. Um, I would love to make a hit. But the question to me is always like uh, because I have the same exact you know instincts. Um, And then my question, I always overthink it, and I'm always like, all right, am I just preaching to the choir? People who already would agree with me, and I'm just trying to get them riled up. Am I trying to reach across the aisle? What am I trying to do here? Right. yeah, yeah, that's where I always get stuck. I'm like, I don't know. I just want to fucking get something out there. But uh, 
in yeah, this I, day and age. I don't know. Maybe we have to take that extra step. Maybe yeah. we have to start thinking through that. I don't know. Yeah. I I think uh at least in your pro you know, <laughs> in, in your prior work, uh you guys have proved that you're already doing that. Maybe um, maybe you interstellared it, maybe you saw the, the future coming, but uh Right. But uh you know, that is the uh what both of you guys are doing are are thinking about I guess what it comes down to is the human condition, which is what all the tracks we talked about tonight were about. <laughs> and the human condition, like how like Springsteen affected you. Yeah. How Dave Matthews gave you a hacky sack that was full of magic. <laughs> Sam. The same things about Dave Matthews yeah. every moment. Yeah. And <laughs> when he writes a song. Oh, yeah. And and I mean That was that's that was my favorite Dave Matthews song. Yeah, I it was, it was the one I, after I, as I was toggling through, it was the one I settled on. For, yeah. 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 But, uh. I just hate the chorus. Just drives me nuts. <laughs> like, stay minor. God damn it. I want to wallow. Hear that, kids? Yeah. Nassim says. Stay minor. <laughs> stay new, minor. New album stay title. <laughs> is, that, is that the advice for the wasteland? Yeah, stay minor? That's right. When we're all living in our caves. Yeah. All right. I, get, I dig that. It's a good way to end. On that note, stay minor. <laughs> stay uh, minor. Dudes, this has been fucking fun as fuck. Thanks, so, Kevin. So thank you, Thanks guys. To and, uh, thank you, guys. This is great. Awesome. Bye Talk bye. to you soon. No, 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 no,